Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Episode 98 of Blue Jays Nation Radio as the Jays are coming off a split against the St. Louis Cardinals. Your Remchuk and Coombsy with you. And as always, we are brought to you by DoorDash. Ding dong. Promo code BJNDD gets first time users of the app 25% off and no delivery fees. So use that as you snuggle in to watch the Jays take on the Tigers for four straight games this weekend. But first, Cam, how was the game last night? I know you were in the building. It was a good vibe. They were doing the Caravana theme night with a little giveaway where they gave gave away like a pouch fanny pack style bag. You know, those you're a Zoomer. So, you know, you're a Zoomer, Mm -hmm. right? You were born in 1997. So you're a Zoomer. You know, those they like to wear them over the shoulders, whereas perhaps a a millennial or a Generation X might wear it around the waist. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a pretty snappy bag. It's a nice little giveaway. The bottom line is fanny packs are making a comeback, baby. They are. They're great. I think, you know, for a while it was like considered weird, not cool to wear one. And then people finally gave in to like, wait, these actually make a lot of sense and make your life a lot easier, especially when, you know, like you have keys, wallet, phone to not have that stuff like jangling around in your pocket. Mm, Fanny pack. Forget about it. It's a game changer because you can close it with a zipper. And that's why I've always Mm -hmm. been a fan of, you know, me. So, you know, I'm a big fan of Adidas track pants specifically, Mm -hmm. very loyal to the brand because the pockets have zippers. So if you got your phone and all your stuff in there, then it's significantly less likely than you're going to get, you know, you're going to get robbed or you're going to drop something. That's what I also like about the fanny pack is get a zipper there. You're not going to drop anything and you're not going to get robbed. Exactly. So the Zoomers have it right. I, I agree. All right. Well, I don't know where we were going with this, but I'm glad you had a good time at the ball game. Uh, let's get into three up three down here for this series against the Cardinals. It was a split. So, you know, kind of hard to tell. Do we start with the down? Do we start with the up? But I think we start with the up and the best moment of this series, something I was excited for, something every Jays fan was excited for, the return of Buck Martinez. Uh, I'm assuming you watched the game since you didn't go on TV on the broadcast. And uh, it was really neat to see all the different shots of in the stadium of everyone with their signs and the way even on Blue Jays Central before that, they were talking about how the return of Buck is really all that mattered, not really the game against the Cardinals. And I would agree with that. And the first time they went to Buck on the broadcast and he was, he was choking up like he almost didn't make it through there without shedding a tear. Uh, it was awesome to see the way they all, everyone sort of uh, gave Buck a little bit of respect as he came back from his cancer treatment. It is. It's a perfect time for Buck to come back to. I think the Jays seem to be like really hitting their stride in the second half. They seem to be really pulling it together and just having Buck go through that. He's kind of just like, 
he's such overall like a Blue Jays legend, like as much as we like to tease Buck for his kind of mistakes on air when he's doing commentary, sometimes he gets a name wrong or sometimes he says something kind of asinine as much of, you know, as much as we tease him, he's, he's fantastic. Like no one loves the Jays more than that guy. He's played for the team. He's managed the team. He's announced the team for over a decade. Like he is like, really is like the face of the blue Jays. And for him to go through what he went through and come back, just, I think provides just a good, a good, just a good vibe around the team for the second half. It was so nice hearing him call that George Springer grand slam. It's just, it's, it's just nice to have him back. It just, it seems like things are back to normal again. It was it was weird in the first half not having him make calls. To be totally honest with you, it felt like something was missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they also they played this video before uh, the game. Sportsnet did of a bunch of Jays players doing the their Buck Martinez impressions, and that was one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. Like the Vladdy one, just absolutely killed me. I rewound like my PVR and went back and watched it. Um, but it was great. And then the players do their salute to to Buck after was awesome as well. And then there was the TikTok of fans outside the stadium giving Buck a nice little ovation. Like all of it, the whole night was awesome. Would you put Buck on the level of excellence? I would. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you would too, just for the reasons you explained, right? Like player, manager, broadcaster, just in in every sense, he's he's a legend in the fan base, right? And even though he maybe isn't, you know, a quote unquote legend around baseball, and he isn't that that level of like a Roy Halladay or whatever, um, I think you put him up there just because of how much he means to the fan base. Yeah, there's some, there's something to be said for longevity and being around the organization for that long for an American guy to embrace a Canadian team basically forever is. I don't know. I think it's something worth celebrating personally. Yeah, I agree with that uh, 100%. So that was obviously the big up from this series against the St. Louis Cardinals. The other one came in that first game, and it certainly helps with the overall vibes of a night like that. When George Springer goes out and slaps a grand slam, he finishes the game three for five, four RBI. Uh, just add it to the long list of clutch, clutch plays that George Springer's had as a Blue Jay. Yeah, it's pretty funny. He's only been here for like a year and a half. And the first year he was here, he missed half the year. So he's really only been here for what, almost one full season now. And he's already got, yeah, pretty much that. He's already got like a handful of pretty sick moments. Like last year he had that huge home run against the Red Sox, uh, the late inning comeback one. And then there's this one here, the Grand Slam. He always seems to come up when the emotions are high and when it's needed, like, you know, you have a game like that where, you know, it's not technically a must win game against a national league opponent, you know, late July, but you know, Buck Martinez just came back from cancer and everybody wants to see a W in his first game back. And lo and behold, George Springer shows up and drills a grand slam. But I will say the funniest part about this whole situation is um, I don't know if you caught the St. Louis broadcast when Springer hit that grand slam. They just went radio silent for like 55 seconds. Didn't say a word. I I saw the video on Twitter and I sat through that whole bit of silence and watched the Jays celebrate in the dugout. And yeah, you just hear like the I mean, the video on Twitter had kind of the music playing over top of it. But it was so funny to see that. I love um, I talked about this on one of the other pods I do, but. Um, I, I love a good local broadcast moment like that, whether it's a local broadcast, like losing their shit because something good happens and they like don't know how to contain themselves because they love the team so much or the moments like the one against St. Louis or think about like last year when Springer hit that home run against Boston and the radio call from Boston went viral. And it was like kind of the same thing where they just like, they're so defeated. It's like they are a part of the team and they live and die with it. And that St. Louis one was was awesome. 
Yeah, I think it's just really funny. Just imagine, like, I think it, um, just imagine being a St. Louis fan and watching that on your home broadcast and your broadcasters just disappear so that you can listen to the opposing team's fans yeah. and the opposing team just go nuclear about a home run against you. That's so funny. Like, could you imagine a big moment <laughs> happening against the Jays and like Dan and Buck and Pat or whoever just disappear for a minute? Like how weird that would be. <laughs> It's yeah, so funny. I, that it, it was just beyond weird. Like I would love to get the, a camera shot of what their booth looked like as it was happening as well. Cause that probably would have been great. Probably would have been some things being like thrown around and shit. Uh, anyways, uh, the third up we have, and you know, I debated putting this one in there, but I don't know. I, it feels like Jose Barrios is finding a little bit of consistency uh so far in the month of july he's made five appearances he's pitched i mean at least into the fifth inning in all of them and into the sixth inning in four of them as well uh even though his numbers aren't sparkling and he hasn't thrown like a you know eight inning gem at any point over the last few weeks it feels like his his game's getting to a point where he's consistently getting solid results right like we haven't had a game like the one in milwaukee where he gets roasted and gives up eight or the one before that in Chicago. It feels like whatever they're working on with Jose Brios, they've gotten his game to at least a point where it's consistent, maybe not dynamic, but consistent. And I think that's important. Yeah. When you mentioned that Milwaukee start, that was the last really bad start he had. That was June 26. He does two and two thirds innings and allows eight earned runs. Uh, that was probably his worst outing of the season. You can argue the worst one was Texas right off the hop where he got one guy out, but whatever um, point is, is um, in the five games since then, He's done 29 innings and has a 3.41 ERA and even better FIP based on the underlying numbers, 3.16. So that's pretty much what you want out of this guy. I think the thing with Barrios, though, he was the opening day starter and, you know, he signed a huge contract and it took top prospects to acquire him. He isn't necessarily like a, like a top level ace. He's more of a number two on a very good team. And if you have a guy going ahead and putting up 3.41 ERA, that's more than fine. That's what you want from Barrios. He's a very, very good, like an elite number three, a good number two, a, a ho-hum ace, but those are the numbers you want. And if we can just keep getting, you know, five and two thirds, three earned runs, sure, that's fine. If you get that the rest of the way, then you're happy because the challenge with Barrios was that he wasn't going deep into a bunch of games and that was fucking their bullpen up. So as long as he's going like this deep, like he's getting into mm -hmm. the sixth inning and getting outs, fine, that's great. And that's what they need down the stretch. That's like... Getting regular Jose Barrios back is almost, and I hate saying this, it's so cheesy, but getting regular Jose Barrios back down the stretch is almost like making a trade at the deadline, like swapping early season inconsistent, mediocre Barrios for almost every game's a quality start Barrios. That's pretty huge for the team. Yeah, and and this might sound, this might be a bit of a lame take, but if you have Manoa pitching the way Manoa is, Gosman finds his game a little bit. And we'll talk about Gosman in just a second and Barrios being consistent in your three spot. You know, you're going to get a solid stripling start here or there. I, I understand they're probably going to get a pitcher at the deadline. And we'll talk about that as well in a second, but just having those big three Gosman, Barrios, Manoa make solid starts for you down the stretch is in all likelihood going to be enough to get you that top wildcard spot or the second wildcard spot. Then once you get to the playoffs, it should be enough as well. So I know it's kind of lame to sit there and be like, ah, they might be good enough just to get in as a wildcard team. But like at this point, with just those three arms and the fact that you're not catching the New York Yankees, um, that's probably enough to just have those three going. And it's it's important to get Barrios up to the level that he's at right now. And it would be just absolutely gravy if they can get him up 
to another level, which we certainly know he's capable of. Uh, you mentioned, you know, an elite number three. If he finds another gear here and, you know, Gosman finds another gear and the Jays maybe get to that point of having one of the better rotations in the AL, like we were hoping they would at the beginning of the season. Uh, let's get into the downs from this series because they did not sweep away the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, the offense just never really got going in game two. And, you know, it wasn't like, there were a lot of games when this team struggled where you'd look and they were like, oh man, they were two for 14 with runners in scoring position or like they left 18 runners on base this game or like crazy numbers like that. That really wasn't the case here. Like they only managed to get three runners in scoring position. They only left three guys on base in that game. The offense just really never got going. And part of that is Adam Wainwright pitched really well. He racked up eight Ks over seven innings. Um, but it was just one of those nights where the bats didn't have it. And I think coming off a seven game winning streak, you kind of excuse a game where you're going up against a legend like Adam Wainwright and your bats just aren't there. Yeah, that's kind of what I was about to say is you can scoff at the fact Adam Wainwright's, you know, like 50 years old and be like, oh, wow, they got lit up by some old man. But, you know, at the end of the day, Adam Wainwright's a fantastic pitcher. He's having a really good season. You look at his age and it's like, wow, it doesn't seem like he's that old. And you watch the way he pitch and it's like, Jesus, this guy's still in his prime. But you kind of look at the kind of pitcher that Adam Wainwright is, you know, a guy that mixes pitches, doesn't throw super hard, has a lot of, you know, keeps hitters off balance. He throws a sinker curveball and a cutter. It's just like, this is the exact profile of the kind of guy that the Jays struggle with. If this is usually like, this is the profile of like the weird rookie that doesn't have great numbers in AAA who comes up and allows one earned run five innings against the Jays and we all get pissed off. But instead it's Adam Wainwright, who's probably a hall of famer. Like that's just kind of what it is. You saw him coming up on the schedule and it is not at all shocking. They got completely shut down by him. And sometimes you just tip your cap. He pitched really well. And that's the way it is. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So just looking at the AL wildcard standings now after that loss, the Jays still sitting in that top spot. They are half a game up on Seattle, who's in the second spot. They're a full game up on Tampa, who's in the third spot. And they are three and a half games clear of being out of the playoffs. Cleveland is the team that's currently right on the outside looking in. Uh, just quickly with that offense there, my, my second down is just a moment that was a little bit frustrating for me in that second game. And it was when Vladdy made the decision to tag up and, and go try to go from second to third early in that ball game. And I, I understand that, you know, oh, if he doesn't do that, like the inning probably ends anyways, but little mistakes like that. And we saw John Schneider go over and have a bit of a chat with Flatty on the broadcast about that as well. Um, but that's shit you can't do when the games get big, like tagging up from second to third, like that, especially when there's two outs now, that very slimly increases your chances of scoring a run in that inning. So the risk just is not worth the reward there. Like if you're going to score, you need a base hit and you can score from a hit into the outfield anyways. So um, just small little mistakes like that. Like, you know, maybe if, if you get to, if you stay at second, you give the team another chance, maybe they drive you in. Maybe the momentum of that game changes up a little bit. Maybe it doesn't, who knows, but still those little mistakes. If you want to be a team that goes on a deep playoff run, you can't do stuff like that. Yeah, definitely not like a huge thing, yeah. but like a kind of frustrating thing. Uh, I think it's just kind of the reality of, the John Schneider Blue Jays are going to be a lot more aggressive on the base mm -hmm. paths. We've already seen them do so much more hitting and running. Guys are, you know, trying to get in motion a bit more to, I don't know, get the defense moving around on the opposition, try and uh, run their way out of outs, though, in that situation. They ran their way into one. I don't really mind it personally, though it is annoying to see. I, 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 I kind of like the overall 
energy of trying to just push and trying to run and pick up like an extra 90 feet on the bases. Uh, you're going to miss out sometimes. He was pretty much in there. It's just that he fell off the oh, bag basically yeah. and got tagged because he was originally safe and then out. Mm-hmm. And he was adamant they should challenge it too at first because I was at the game and I was watching and I was on the third base side and I saw him kind of waving his arms around and the bench was like, no, we're not reviewing this. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't, I don't mind the approach personally. I like a good hit and run team. I like stolen bases. I think it's exciting. Fair enough. I guess you just kind of live and die by that sword. Uh, the third down we have uh, Kevin Gosman couldn't get out of the fifth inning, but you took a peek at or you pulled up some stuff that kind of gives us reasons as to why his numbers aren't as good as you'd like recently. Yeah, his batting average on balls in play through July. And we look back at his July starts thus far. There was the two innings start against Tampa where he got hurt. And then he's out for a while. And then he comes back against Kansas city pitches quite well, six innings, two earned runs. And then against Boston, that game where they scored the thousand runs, he quietly wasn't, he was, it was a weird game because he went five innings and struck out 10 guys, but also allowed mm-hmm. seven hits, two of which were dingers. Um, and then in St. Louis, it's four and two thirds, five earned runs on eight hits. Um, Gosman's in in the month of July is batting average in balls in play is uh, 0.489. So roughly half of the balls that are hit are landing somewhere. Like he's not getting, you know, he's not, he's not getting balls on the ground that are just easy outs or pop flies or fly outs or whatever. Just everything's finding green, which I mean, is, is kind of potentially a reality because Gosman's a little bit of a pitch to contact guy. But it's it's just kind of a confounding thing to look at. You have to like half the balls in play or landing somewhere. That's that seems like terrible luck, even if you are a bit more of a pitch to contact guy. So I'm not going to concern myself too much again about, about Gosman. Do the Jays need to reevaluate how they approach their defensive shifts with Kevin Gosman potentially? That's kind of what I'm thinking. I know that um, back during the Charlie era, and this is something that we heard, I think, after Montoyo got fired, was that Kevin Gosman was one of the guys who had a pretty significant pushback about the defensive alignment that they were using behind him. So maybe this is something they look at again. I'm I'm not enough of like an expert on batted ball statistics to know like what specifically <laughs> they're doing wrong. But for me, it's enough to look at a start like this and be like, ah, you know what? Like Gosman's not bad he's not struggling it's a little bit of bad luck it's something that can probably be fixed if if they dig into i don't know the numbers or (laughs) where the guys are standing the people that get paid significantly more money than me to understand this shit can probably figure it out fair enough Uh, so the jays walk away from this two gamer with a split not exactly a surprising result i know obviously the cardinals missing some key pieces due to their vaccination status but that's still a ball club that's pushing for the playoffs and all of that so so splitting with them is it's it's, it wasn't a surprising outcome, but now you get a four-gamer against the Detroit Tigers. We'll touch on that in just a second, but this is a four-gamer that leads us into more or less the trade deadline because it's on August 2nd, and the Jays have an off day on August 1st. So we've been hearing a little bit. Uh, Ross Atkins spoke to the media yesterday, talked about what some potential needs were, but also said right now, every year at this point, the prices are always higher, and if you want to jump the market, you're going to pay a premium. I think we saw that yesterday with the Yankees paying a bit of a premium for Andrew Benintendi. Uh, What did you think of that move and the Yankees just bolstering an already bolstered lineup with Benintendi? Yeah, I guess the goal with Benintendi is to kind of replace Joey Gallo, who's been 
nowhere near what the Yankees expected he was going to be when they acquired him last season. Gallo's kind of fallen off a cliff offensively. Uh, it is an interesting acquisition for the Yankees because, as we know, Ben Intendi doesn't have the COVID vaccine. So as of right now, he isn't able to cross the Canada-U.S. border. But the Yankees aren't here until late September. So if he gets the Johnson & Johnson single-shot vaccine, then he's eligible to cross the border 14 days after that shot. So this is late September. There's tons of time to make that happen. And then, you know, of course, if the Jays and the Yankees meet up in the playoffs, that would be important. I imagine if the Yankees are pulling the trigger on this trade, then there's the expectation that he will get the COVID shot, I imagine. Uh, yeah. I just think it'd be kind of weird if an AL East team, knowing that they could play in Canada in the playoffs, would get a guy who couldn't play with them just because not only would that suck for your roster, it's also in a massive distraction to deal with at that time. Just like a media shitstorm, it would be really annoying. Yeah. So my guess is that's part of the plan for the Yankees, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, so John Heyman and Bob Nightingale, I believe I'm getting that right. Those two have kind of reported that the Yankees have been told or are aware that Benintendi plans to change his vaccination status. Um, and apparently there was another report saying that he made that decision a few days ago and other teams were made aware while they were negotiating the deal. So it sounds like Benintendi, I, I just think it's hilarious how the guy sits there and is like, no, nah, I'm not getting the vaccine to play for the Royals. And they're like, you could play for New York. And he's like, oh, yeah. This thing is safe. Like, I mean, how, why? I don't know, man. It's just it just so shows how, how badly he wanted to get off the Royals, right? Imagine yeah. they come to him and the Yankees are talking to him and they're like, hey, man, like the only way we're going to trade for you is if you get this shot you didn't want to get. <laughs> now he's like, okay, get me off the fucking Royals. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, get me out of here. Let me play playoff baseball. Uh, so the Yankees get Ben Benintendi. Uh, the Jays have been connected to a bat recently. Uh, Ian Happ. This one puzzles me a little because, again, when I look at spending prospect capital right now at the deadline, I don't really think this is a spot the Jays need to spend. Like, Hap is good. He would fit in fine. He can move around the diamond a little bit. He's batting 282. He, he strikes out considerably more than he walks, which, you know, it wouldn't be a great thing here. But the fact he'd be a lefty bat, right, maybe makes sense. I, I would just personally, if you're going to go get Ian Hap and it's going to cost you a couple of solid prospects, I'd rather you just go get more bullpen arms. That's my thought on it. Yeah, that's what we both said last podcast. Hap makes some sense for the Jays because, like you said, he offers all that positional versatility. He's a switch hitter. They need a lefty bat. And he's been good this year. He was on the all-star team. His OPS is at 8-11. But like you said, he strikes out a lot. He's not really necessarily the get-on-base contact guy that they really want. And it seems at this point that if they do get him, he's kind of just just the upgrade on the cabin Biggio position. He's like the lefty who can play multiple positions. I just don't know if looking at the Jays, that's where they need to spend their prospect capital. I really feel like it's the pitching, whether it's getting another number or like a back of the rotation starter so that you can shove either Stripling or Kikuchi into the pen deep in your rotation um, or just to add a handful of uh, late inning bullpen arms. That's what we talked about last podcast was getting guys who you're comfortable bringing out there in the ninth inning, or when you have a save situation at a different point in the game, say the bases are loaded in the sixth inning and the, you're up by one, you know, you want to have a closer type guy who can come in and strike somebody out. I think that's more important to the Jays right now than Ian Happ, who can make their lineup slightly better, but their lineup's already very good. Yeah, 
I, and again, just put, put your assets into getting starters and relievers. I just think that's, what's going to make a bigger difference for this team. Uh, Jeff passing over at ESPN.com recently wrote a piece about what he's hearing ahead of the deadline. And the part that is definitely most applicable to the Jays and their deadline plans is the futures of Luis Castillo in Cleveland or sorry, in Cincinnati and Frankie Montas out in Oakland, who's back off the injured list. Passing did list the Jays as a potential suitor. Uh, he also had the Cardinals, Mariners, Yankees, Twins, and Padres as teams who could be in on those two. He says they will most certainly be moved in the next week or almost certainly will be moved in the next week. You're probably giving up a lot to get these two. Um, three prospects, I think, is the minimum. And you're probably giving up a high-end prospect that makes you really gulp and go, oh boy, because it's going to be similar to the Barrios deal last year where you gave up Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, who are both solid prospects. Um, do you like either one of those names more than the other, Cam? Do you think the Jays are going to go that high-end in their search for pitching? I think, yeah, honestly, if you're going to pull the trigger and make a big deal, make do that, get another very good starter. And especially one that is under control next year, like last year with Barrios. But the challenge is for the Jay is like, they've made some big trades recently. You know, they made a big trade in the off season for Matt Chapman. They didn't give up that much in terms of prospect capital. It was really only one good prospect, Gunnar Hoagland, who was their first round pick the year before. And the Brios trade, it was two top prospects, Woods Richardson and Martin. Uh, Woods Richardson's doing quite well for Minnesota and maybe could have helped the Jays this year. Probably not. He's in double A, whereas Martin seems to be really struggling in double A. So whatever. But basically where the Jays are at now, they're not left with a tremendous amount of prospect capital so it's kind of like teams are obviously going to be asking for Gabe Moreno who was just named the number one prospect by Baseball America or they're going to be asking for Ricky Tiedemann who's gone through low A and high A dominated them both and is taking a short break right now and will resume at double A so this guy's ripping up the system super fast and looks like he's maybe going to be ready to help the team pretty soon I don't know if he's going to be up this year in September that'd be crazy but next year it doesn't seem out of the question so for the Jays, it's kind of difficult. Like how much prospect capital do you have left to make a huge splash? Is it possible to go and acquire another pitcher like that as great as it would be? Would you give up Moreno? Would you give up Tiedemann given what you've already given up in recent years? I don't know. Like you need to have some guys there, right? Because, you know, they've, we've been talking for years about a guy like Nate Pearson and how he's going to help out, but he's completely fallen off a cliff. So it's like, you don't have that much quality pitching depth in your system to come up and affect your team anytime soon, but I don't know. It, it, it just depends on how comfortable they are with this team and whether they think that, you know, having another pitcher in their starting rotation could get them through a playoff series against a team like the Yankees or a team like the Astros. If they believe they're at that level, then sure. Why not pull the trigger? Like prospects are far from a guarantee, even a prospect like Moreno, like we've already seen at the big league level, there's no guarantee that he's going to be better than say Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen, who knows? So I don't know. I've always been a I've always been a flags fly forever type guy. I think it's worth it. They had a very good draft this year. They added a lot of talent. So they did. maybe you can maybe you can trade some guys. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. I, I can go either way on this, to be totally honest with you. I, first off, with their draft, I love that they got a couple of those guys signed. Um, that, it seems like they did some really tidy work restocking the prospect pool. And that's important for a team because one, you need them. They're trade chips. And two, if they're not going to be trade chips and they're going to be on your major league roster, Eventually, there are going to be some big, big, big money extensions coming to a couple of Blue Jays players. You need cheap options in your lineup still. So that's what makes me hesitant to move a guy like Mourinho or to even move a guy like Tiedemann. 
if you, let's say you're in Ross Atkins chair, you're close with the Reds, you've nailed down a couple peripheral prospects, you got a couple of them done, and they say, all right, the deal's done. You need to give us one of Tiedemann or Pearson. Who do you give up? Uh, quite honestly, it's Pearson. Like yeah. the way Tiedemann's pitched so far, um, he looks fantastic. And the problem with Pearson is as good as he is, you know, he's got fantastic stuff, but he can't stay healthy. And then there's also the concern about, you know, we've, we've seen him when he is in the big leagues, the composure also isn't there because he just simply hasn't pitched that much. He's just missed, missed so much development time. So if there is a team out there who still believes in Nate Pearson as a top prospect and they view him that way, then I don't think it's that bad of an idea just to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Like that's a prospect that at this point that I really have no concerns moving on from because it's it's really starting to get difficult to see that guy having a future in the big leagues, not just as a starter. Like I think that's kind of sailed completely. But even as a reliever at this point, it's he never pitches. He's never healthy. Mm-hmm. So if a team if a team still thinks highly of him, then and that gets you, you know, a quality reliever or back end starter and someone that can impact your team right now, I think you pull the trigger. The most recent update, by the way, that we've gotten from Nate Pearson comes from Scott Mitchell, who says Pearson was shut down for three to four weeks at the end of June. He's progressing and is at least somewhat close to throwing bullpens down at the Jays complex in Florida. Zero guarantees on any timeline, but there's hope he may be available in a few weeks. Also, Arden Zwelling a couple days ago threw us an update on Julian Merriweather, who's out with an abdominal strain. He threw a bullpen at the Jays player development complex. Next step will be facing live hitters and a rehab assignment. Um, So it sounds like maybe there's some belief Pearson could factor into the bullpen down the stretch here. But again, similar to Merriweather, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, because it feels like we've done this song and dance with Pearson a few times now. I mean, the guy was making rehab starts and then got sent or got pushed all the way back. So I think I'd agree with you. Like if there is a team out there who still values Pearson as an A plus top prospect, and they're willing to, you know, give you that kind of value back in, in a trade, like you, obviously, if, if the price is Pearson plus a couple of other mid range prospects to get a guy like Castillo or to get a guy like Montas, you're, you're doing it every day of the week. You're doing that. Cause I agree with you in the sense that flags fly forever. And when you're the Jays, and your team is loaded with, you know, again, young control, young talent and controlled talent. And in the rotation, would it be great to have a guy like Pearson come up next year and, and grab a rotation spot? Yeah, sure. But if you have Manoa, Gosman, Barrios, and Castillo, you you don't need him, right? Like it, it's a good price to pay. Like it makes sense. So um, I'm all in on a championship this year. I think the Jays front office obviously should be. And if it even if it's Tiedemann, man, like I, I can, like you have. Pearson, Gosman, and Manoa, or sorry, Manoa, Gosman, and Barrio signed for a long time. They're going to be around for a while. That's the front end of your rotation. You've made that bet. And if the price is a prospect, then then you pull the trigger on it. Like pitchers can be finicky, man. And, and I'll take the sure thing. I'll take the boat instead of the mystery box that could be the boat, right? Like you hold on to Tiedemann and hope that he can one day be Castillo. Sure. But why not just go get Castillo, right? Yeah, it's true. And I think the logic's there, especially if it's not a rental. Like, I don't love mm-hmm. the idea of doing this for a David Price. As much yeah. of a difference as in 2015, David Price made, it would have, you know, been really nice for the Jays if they had gotten a pitcher that year who also would have been around the following year. I think that's the kind of pitcher you're more down to throw away your top prospects for. But again, yeah, we're, we're both on the same page. We're both, let's go for it. Like, the team's good. 
let's lean in. Like you never know what's going to happen. You never know, like a window can randomly close so fast. Like injuries are such a thing. Like who knows, maybe like you mentioned those three uh, top end starters, the Jays have like an injury or two can completely derail things and things are working right now. So lean in. I think that's the move. Even if it, even if it, if it, if it, if it requires one of those top two guys, mm -hmm. but the condition for me for trading one of uh Tiedemann or Moreno or both is that the guy really has to be under control next year as well. So you could then lump in both Pablo Lopez and Tariq Skubal into this. Of course. Absolutely. Those are the kinds of guys like, you know, those, those are the kinds of pitchers you have really have no problem trading a top prospect for. It was the same thing with Barrios last year. He's yeah. here for a year and a half. You have a ton of time to extend them, make it happen. And if you can't extend them, you give them a qualifying offer. And you get a pick back and you recoup that prospect, right? Like, yeah. It makes and they sense. did well with that this year. Like look at the, the, you know, they had the Robbie Ray and Marcus Semyon picks and they've done a fantastic job of uh, replenishing their prospect pool. Mm -hmm. Like, they draft a really good high school arm in the first round. They find a guy with one of the compensatory draft picks that said he wasn't going to sign unless it was with the Blue Jays and they go over slot with him. And he wants to be here because the Blue Jays development is really quite good. So, I mean, that's the thing. You keep stockpiling draft picks and you're keep going to get you're, you're going to continue to get these high quality prospects because they know that the Blue Jays have a very good player development system. That new Dunedin complex is very advantageous to them as a team. Yeah. Uh, the Jays are hosting the Tigers this weekend. They're certainly an interesting team. I mentioned they got a controllable starting pitcher. They also got some intriguing bullpen arms in Gregory Soto. Both Michael Michael Fulmer's in that mix as well. I wonder if there's a fit there between the Jays and Tigers simply because they could check a lot of boxes there if you were to pull off a big deal. Like if you're going to give up serious prospect capital, the Tigers could get you a reliever and a starter in one move. Yeah, you can you can pretty much accomplish everything you want here. Like Tariq Skubal, like you mentioned, that's, you know, he's a 25-year-old starter who's got a 3.67 ERA and good peripheral numbers. Uh, his FIP is 2.98. So that's just giving you like another guy right up there with uh, Manoa Gosman Barrios. That's, you know, you add Skubal to that and that's a very good top four, like <laughs> roughly as good as it yeah. gets. And then you add a, a reliever in there, maybe Gregory Soto is kind of the guy that sticks out. Michael Fulmer, like you said. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of decent guys on Detroit. There's nobody in the way of hitting on this team that would be worth acquiring unless it's Spencer Torkelson, who they're obviously not going to trade. Yeah. But, you know, it's pretty much all pitchers here. And the Jays could solve all of their problems in one swoop by just giving the Tigers a couple of, you know, top prospects and getting themselves back a controllable starting pitcher and maybe two relievers. Maybe that's what you give up Moreno and Tiedemann for. Ooh. Might be worth it. Yeah, I mean, it could be when you talk about getting a 25-year-old arm back and a couple of really, really solid relievers. Uh, yeah, of course, the Tigers, it's certainly a team to watch with the Jays ahead of the deadline, and we are going to be watching them a lot because they're in town for a four-game set. So let's dig into that. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our look ahead is brought to you by Points Bet Canada. The Jays tonight, the four-game series starts. They are big-time favorites, and that is despite the fact you say Kikuchi is on the bump. Do you have any sort of high hopes at all going into this game for uh, the Kikuchi return? Uh, I don't know. There was talk that he sorted something out in his one start in Buffalo. He did five innings, two hits, three walks, four strikeouts. That's a really weird line. It's kind of hard to tell whether that's positive or not, because, okay, at the end of the day, you're going up against triple A pitchings or triple A hitting. So uh, maybe, maybe if that, that kind of performance is the big league level, then guys are laying off more stuff. I don't know. Maybe they can catch up with his fastball, whatever. I don't know. It is what it is. If Kikuchi comes up and he has two terrible starts again, I think you have to just throw him in the bullpen and kind of find a role for him and do something else. But they're going to give him a chance to start before the trade deadline. I think this start is going to determine for them. Uh, I, I don't know if it'll be like black and white. Oh, Kikuchi got lit up. We have to go and get a guy. But I think it's going to play a bit of a role this game as to whether they really are prioritizing getting a starter. If he comes and tosses a gem and he looks very different, it's like, okay, Kikuchi's made an adjustment that we told him to make and it's worked. Then maybe there isn't quite as much of a desire to go and move a top prospect for another starting pitcher. Maybe, but I don't know, like uh, given the way the year's gone for Kikuchi and how inconsistent he's been and how frustrating it's been to watch my, my, my level of faith isn't tremendously high. I do think that the Jays, if they want to go deep into the playoffs, need to get another starting pitcher. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, going on the other side tonight is Tyler Alexander for the Detroit Tigers. He's having a rather mediocre season. He's got a 4.05 ERA. He usually doesn't go more than, you know, between two to three innings here. It's kind of a bullpenish day here for the Detroit Tigers. So he's going tonight. Um, we're going to see Drew Hutchinson in this series as well, uh, or at least we're expected to in the third game of the series. But for the Jays, Kikuchi, Manoa, Stripling, Barrios. Um, lining up at the end of the series with three of your more reliable arms as of late as well. So this is a series that's looking like it's one the Jays should be able to handle fairly easily, knock on wood. It really is. Like the Tigers are not a very good team. And the thing with the Tigers is they can't hit. 
So you're at home, you have, save for Kikuchi, you have three guys who are pitching well right now, going up against a team that can't hit it all. If you do anything less than three out of four, that'd be quite disappointing. I tend to agree with that. I mentioned the Jays are favorites tonight. They're massive favorites coming in at minus 236 on the money line, minus 115 on the run line. Um, here's one. How about over nine and a half runs tonight? I think that could be a pretty decent spot with the Kikuchi versus Tyler Alexander start. I know you're not much of a better Coombsy, but I think over nine and a half, maybe where I'm laying a few shekels tonight as the Jays kick off a four gamer against the Tigers. Yeah, I bet. I bet your life savings that it's going to be more than nine and a half runs tonight. I'd, I'd pull the trigger. All right. I, I will do that. And uh, that's going to be a wrap on another edition of BGN Radio delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. Uh, Coomzy, you enjoy this four game series. And the next time we chat will be the off day, the day before the deadline. That's, that's exciting. Right. That's exciting. That's going to be a chaotic one. I, I am almost positive that we're going to record that thing. And there's going to be a trade 37 seconds after we finish recording. Right after you press that button and Zoom says recording is finished. There's going to, they're going to pull the trigger on a move. I guarantee it. As soon as, as soon as I hit the end recording button, my phone will pop up Castillo for Tiedemann and Orlevis Martinez. Wow. Damn. That's a big one. I was thinking it That'd was going to be Terry Scooball gets left behind with two relievers and it's Mourinho and Tiedemann. And we're all like, Whoa, Ooh. are we, how do we feel Spicy. about that? Spicy. That's my Spicy. Prediction. All right. I, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think it's going to be right, but sure. Why not? I'm going to lean into that being my prediction. All right, that's going to be a wrap for this episode. Enjoy this series against the Tigers, everybody. Best wishes. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.